Hey everybody, we're here live at CES still. Jeff is still awake. I'm still awake, and it's great because you can sit in this like corner of the room. We should have done this thing. Where, you know people do those signs that just say prom with a question mark? We should have just had a sign that said podcast, podcast? with a question mark. That'd be a great idea. Yeah, great. next time. Next, next time. time. We always think of those things as we're doing it. <laughs> so we're here with Gwen Magida, who's the Chief Sustainability Officer for Caesars, uh, based here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Actually, it's a, it's a mash of uh, various things from policy policy work around say human uh, counter human trafficking to uh, diversity inclusion strategy to uh, your more typical environmental sustainability work greenhouse gas targets science-based targets um, philanthropy and uh, employee volunteerism cool so Gwen we're talking a lot right now about about experiences and experiences can mean a lot of different things uh, Caesars is a is a huge company when when I tell you that we're looking at how does somebody become an experience-driven business? What what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a lot. So I I'm paused because I um, came from the market research side of the business, <laughs> and so my my brain automatically thinks of uh, data and, and strategy and metrics. Um, Which are all but good I think things. experiences, yeah. Um, unless you right, I don't want to do an analysis paralysis, as someone said earlier. True. Um, I really think it's it's shifted over even my my tenure at Caesars. It's been about 13 years, and experiences might have been around just one particular asset of it. That's just gaming and more slot machine gaming. We call it low rollers. The uh, quarter machine players win 50, usually 50 and over. Uh, to more broad based side of the business now, we have you know the nightclubs. We have 15,000 15,000 conventions a year, 40,000 hotel rooms, about 400 retail stores and another 500 food and outlet restaurants. You can't see it on the pod, but Mars has uh, just exploding <laughs> at the numbers. So, <laughs> um, which makes it more interesting, I think, right? Because you've got, although, you, you know, when you think about experiences, you look at the old model of 50 years, four square walls, very little lighting, um, mm-hmm. to now we're thinking about the, the gaming and entertainment experience of the future for us. And so how do we include spaces within spaces? How do we include, it's not just the, the millennials, but there's a shift also with women 40 and over who are leaving the gaming customer business because they are experiencing other aspects of their life that's more holistic. Mm-hmm. So how do we capture and retain that um, that individual into our experiential future? Oh, so, what, what have you found? So, so what works? What makes somebody stick? Yeah, I think it depends on, so I would say women, older women, um, I'm in that 40, 40 plus category, by the way, I dye my hair, you can't see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, take, I think it's really, you know, how do you, um, it, it goes beyond the spa treatments and, you know, your, your well rooms and, and what have you. I think it's, I, I really think that the, the whole company really needs to come to fruition in, in terms of, it's not just about the, the value proposition and service and money and <laughs> who you're going to shop at. We're not a, a commodity per se anymore. I think mm-hmm. this is where the purpose-driven companies come into place. Um, so I'm hearing more of, you know, it, this is like a sitting on a, a panel, for example, at a conference and a woman coming up to me from back, behind the back of the room saying, if I only knew this five years ago that you were doing things around cleaning the world, you know, literally collecting soaps to save lives of kids 
or if we only knew how much your employees were doing things around breast cancer and doing these really cool fashion shows around decorated bras for Battle, Battle of the Bras. Um, I think integrating the, the whole company into what we call a social license to operate is really important. And for us in gaming, it's will we allow you to operate in our backyard or not? It's a coveted gaming license to mm -hmm. either acquire and retain every two several years. We have to go up and get relicensed, and it's, so it's beyond well beyond the financial aspects of it. It's what are we do, you doing also for local minority and supplier businesses? What are you doing to net net be perceived to give back? And what are you doing to protect um, these vulnerable populations that may possibly be into addictive behaviors? And what are we doing around like? why we were invited to these places like Joliet, Illinois or Tunica, Mississippi, it's because they had no other industry or maybe one industry like Joliet was a prison industry. Tunica mm -hmm. had a 40% unemployment rate. New Orleans downtown where we operate, um, the mayor did a study a couple years ago and it's a 40% unemployment rate among black men. Um, so how do we have a holistic business model that supports economic, sustainable economic development? So I think the sticking factor is really how do you look at more community-based impact beyond taxes, jobs, <laughs> sure. et cetera, into this, this solution. So I think the sticking factor is to be a, a piece of the puzzle and an enabler for a, a healthier economy. Interesting. So tell me, Caesars has a complex business when we think of creating really good experiences because you've got, obviously, you've got shops, you've got thousands and thousands of rooms, you've got an online presence, you've got an offline presence. How do you bring all those things together so it seems like it's one seamless experience? Yeah. I think as, well, I'm not in the marketing side of the business, but I, but I did uh, work in that area. Um, I think it's really, it's evolving and it's challenging because you've got a very regulated difference with online gaming, offline gaming, mm -hmm. social gaming, play for fun, play for etc. And then you've got um, the the entry points. It might be a, a VIP meeting planner, a B2B type of organization, or it might be a, what we call hospitality customers, people who might come in for a, a show um, or because of a friend's bachelor, bachelorette party, etc. Um, I think it's really who and why they come to us, and then seeing all the, the entry points and touch points, online, offline, in-person, you know, concierge, third-party partners. And a lot of times our model is moving more towards partners that we don't own or, or invest in. For example, Omnia, very hot nightclub, it's a partner mm -hmm. business, Nobu, Nobu Tower and the restaurant, partner business as well. So it's really important for us to understand all the threads. We call it entanglement as well, like how do you, um, create more touch points between the link, right, the, the high roller, <laughs> yeah. to the person who's coming to the convention and may walk past the promenade and might want to go to um, uh, O'Shea's, right, and play mm -hmm. beer ping pong. Um, At any time of the day, <laughs> I've been there. Um, who may um, be invited to go to the bowling alley, but uh, he or she may be um, um, staying over at... Uh, at, at Harrah's or Caesars. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the overall flow of entanglement and how do we cross market even amongst the nine properties we have in Vegas or the assets within those properties too. It's just really a uh, 
opportunity challenge for yeah, <laughs> the marketers. Business. That's exactly what I said. It's, gonna, it's an interesting business opportunity and challenge because you have all these maybe slightly divergent things or touch points that you, you kind of interconnect. But as we're here talking about tech for good and this, this space, um, talk to us a little bit about what you're trying to do at Caesars to kind of, you know, work in that space and, and try and create both diversity inclusion programs and other programs like that. I mean, I think so, and I, I mentioned this at my previous work working groups, my my world happens to be a, a, a world of sustainability officers, <laughs> and very far and few between do we engage, you know, being plopped at a tech conference, which I think is really healthy and important. Yeah. Um, well, it helps it's close, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Proximity also, is always good. Yes. Um, but I think, I think the immediate, I would call it the more low-hanging fruit or needs, is how do we reinvent who we are in terms of a responsible business? Core to our business, right? Our, our core issue is responsible gaming. How do you? So how do we um, introduce technology into a 80-year-old <laughs> business and a, a 30-year-old responsible gaming program? So whether it be... Um, at the slot machines to have those um, interception points or um, you know you hear about the country companies countries doing beacon technology mm-hmm. or um, you know entry point technology on you know who darkens our four walls and comes in how do we know if they are um, they have problem gaming questions or issues I mean uh, we operate in the UK and in Windsor Canada uh, we mm-hmm. are the first certified companies in those uh, countries to meet a very high standard responsible gaming pieces, and they have introduced technology um, to um, intercept, educate, and redirect any concerns or questions around gaming, responsible gaming issues. So I think in that way it's more preventative, but in terms yeah. of enablers, um, you know, everything from how do, how do we become um, a better brick and mortar and online partner when it comes to the esports social games but have a fully integrative experience because it's still kind of in its early stages of the integrated experience when it comes to tech for good yeah but it's interesting that you're thinking in those spaces because i think your business you kind of have to constantly be anticipating what is the next thing Mm -hmm. even though you have a strong business model that's established in the last 80 years you still need to always look for what's the touch point that gets people in in the door right but you know the big, the biggest challenge, and you'll be very little surprised by this house. If we look at a gaming machine today versus ten years ago, mm-hmm. it's roughly not uh, the same. Yeah. <laughs> and to get uh, license for a, you know, whether it's surface table technology or inter- more interactive gaming, minimum five years. Wow. So it's it, we're constantly trying to catch up, and because of how regulated the gaming industry is, I mean, can you imagine five years in other tech spaces? I mean, you'd be nope. Right. <laughs> Again, business. <laughs> so this is the second it's time. Really challenging. <laughs> this is the second time on an audit, on an audio <laughs> podcast that Mark's just shaking his head like, "No, I don't like that. I don't like that future. I don't want that life." So, Someone next to me was talking about a three-month period taking a while. I'm like, "Oh, you can you imagine our business at five You just want to swoop. You just want to <laughs> swoop in on that and be like, "Oh, so if you only knew." How do you? I'm going back to that experience thing. I mean, yep. when you think of the gaming. Piece that it's going to take five years at least to be able to get some big change. How do you overcompensate with everything else that happens at Caesars to make sure that people don't feel like, guys, this hasn't changed in five years. Give yeah. me something new. How, how do you do that? So if you if you 
or a guest walked at some of our flagship properties like Caesar's Palace today versus eight months ago, and maybe come every eight to ten months, you see mm -hmm. pretty quick change-outs, right, with the, the restaurants, food offerings, um, and, and it's not just promotions. Or Vegas, Our Vegas properties don't do promotions, but our riverboats do. Right. <laughs> but the change-out and how competitive the market is for non-gaming, you know, how do we keep and attract guests changing out new product, right? Uh, Payard, um, left and it's now Giada and a more of a quick service restaurant at, at Caesar's Palace. And then there's a 10 acre piece around the, the 85 acres at Caesar's Palace <laughs> that we are looking at a master plan development. And then there's a master plan beyond, behind the link that the large wheel um, for a, a new convention center. So which is, you're constantly Ooh, looking nice. at what's, what are the next three or five years coming at? And you're, I mean, even within that year, like how are we changing our food product or integration of services and that goes back to the entanglement but I think on a more strategic architecture our CEO is very big on how do you balance cash flow guests guest experience and, and employee experience it's really important to have that triangular balance well that link space so. evolved quickly like even in the last couple of years that's you see all the, the mm -hmm. who's there is every couple months well. every yeah. couple months I'm here yeah. it changes and it's adapted and it used to just kind of be a a corridor and now it's a whole separate like town inside of town yep. and the, the street artists are even with badges too right <laughs> yeah very formal yeah. so 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 much of that Gwen seems like going back to your market research days I imagine a big focus of yours was let's watch let's listen let's see what works and doesn't work and let's evolve and iterate time and time again until we until we feel like we've got it for our customers, and then let's keep innovating again after that. Does that seem accurate? Yeah, and I think it's, well, when, when I was in market research, we were also looking at um, how to, I don't know if you've, you've heard of our, our previous um, CEO, he was a Harvard professor, Gary Lubman, mm -hmm. and he looked at sort of predictive analysis and loyalty programs, modeled after airline programs then. So in that sense, if you could determine the worth of a customer, an average daily worth, you would kind of predict their potential spend. So in that sense, you can manage and model that piece out. So that's part of the, the known customer. Um, but then the, you call it, let's just say the other 80% today, um, how do you understand what, it's, it can't just be around trends in food, fashion, and healthier foods. It's got to be well beyond that and the sticking factor. So even our steakhouses, right, you know, the, the demand of meat, <laughs> red meat, for example, is reduced, but yet people, when they come to Las Vegas, you can't model national trends because they still want right. Right, indulgent experiences. <laughs> they want to eat a lot more, um, but we're still, my, my work has been a very much uh, five to 10 years. So I have a very long food scarcity issues upstream from yield to hot food recovery to anaerobic digesters. Um, so it's, it's a very different path for our "Quote unquote innovation," which I feel in our world, it's it's the uh, right second or third tier. Guys, but innovation in terms of policy. Gwen <laughs> is here blowing our mind about this crazy stuff that's happening at Caesars. So, Gwen, last question for you: As you look into the future uh, of what's going to happen with sustainability, with building experiences, with a anything like that, what are you the most excited about? How how can technology help companies like Caesars the most going sure. forward? I think it's it goes beyond seizures. I think it's around serious issues. Um, like, you know, what what I'm excited about being here and hearing some of the tech companies work on counter trafficking. I mean, in, in our world, not just the gaming world, but visitors, 
the visitor industry globally and business travel globally, you know, there's there are overlaps with when conventions are around, you tend to have a surge of buying a sex. Um, so how do we address some, you know, mod, what we call the modern day slavery issues mm-hmm. in become solution providers in something that, an issue that's been around for thousands of years. Um, so working with, uh, we're <coughs> partners with the Cherokee tribe, the Eastern Band, and how do you look at indigenous populations, poly traumatized societies, and look at a best practice model with their government, our work on behalf of them, and then our federal government for um, a more sustainable economic model that supports, you know, 20 years of moving a lot of the kids out of poverty because of their economic development, but now it's how do you address, literally it's 200-year-old issues around trauma. trauma. So I think it's those are the mind-bending things that I love to work on that are really, I think, saving lives, which is cool. Wow. What a great few minutes we've had here with Gwen, everybody. Check out the rest of our podcast. Gwen, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Hopefully we get to talk to you very soon. Okay, thank you.